Two Kids and a Career is a production of Jill Divine Media. All children are vulnerable to being captured by drugs. There is no safe safe child. It doesn't matter where you live, urban, rural, suburban. It doesn't matter the level of income of your family. It doesn't matter uh, what religious background you are. And it doesn't matter what school you go to. All children are vulnerable to becoming captured by substances like alcohol or marijuana or any of these other uh, illicit drugs. Two Kids in a Career is brought to you by Blondin Real Estate. They're a family-owned boutique-style brokerage with over 40 years of experience serving the counties that surround St. Louis. See the properties they have to offer at BlondinRealEstate.com. That's BlondinRealEstate.com. Hi there, and welcome to Two Kids in a Career. I'm Jill Devine. As an entrepreneur, wife, and mama, the daily grind of trying to build a business while taking care of kids and trying to maintain a healthy connection with my hubby, it's a lot. With this podcast, you're going to hear candid conversations with other moms, parenting experts who can share their knowledge and insight, or you'll just hear me rambling to get it all out. There's going to be tears, there's going to be laughter, but most importantly, there will be support. Take a listen and connect with me so we can grow and learn from one another. This is Two Kids and a Career. I would like to introduce my guest, Rick Capriola. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jill. It's a pleasure to be here, and I really appreciate you taking the time to discuss this topic with me today. So thank you very much for inviting me to the program. You are so welcome. You have a book called The Addicted Child, and we are going to discuss all of that. What I want to kind of give you as a background is to me and to my listener in the podcast is I haven't really talked about substance abuse a lot or addiction a lot. I have in a few episodes, the most recent episode being episode 75. Sean Rademeyer is a a friend of mine. We know each other from high school and he reached out and said that he was wanting to tell his journey, his story, his uh, road to redemption. He definitely suffered from codependency issues and also substance abuse. And um, he talked about this 10-year journey that he's been on, but he did refer in that episode a lot to things that happened when he was a child, things that set him up to what he believes led to all of the things that happened to him. And um, when I was listening to him, I really didn't focus too much on the child aspect. I, I focused more on like a friend or a loved one, or, hey, if you're suffering, you can get help. Or if your loved one is suffering, here's how you can help yourself and help them. But it wasn't really until you and I connected that I thought, damn, I'm a parent and I have a two and a four-year-old. And before we know it, they're going to be at the age where some serious talks are going to have to be had. And I just don't even really know what to say or where to begin because there have been some terrifying things that I've seen happen on social media with, I don't know, is it the evolution of drugs and alcohol and like just how toxic and dangerous and crazy that world is right now? I mean, I feel like it's always been that way, but I 
definitely feel like things are so much more different than when I was growing up. So you're going to talk about these things. Why don't you first start with your background and a little bit of a, a bio? Okay. Um, I had a, a long history of education in the state of Illinois. I was uh, an education administrator for the state of Illinois. And as I transitioned out of that career, I started working in a mental health crisis center in central Illinois. And we would receive people from the emergency room uh, that would come to our crisis center. And I noticed that a large percentage of them had not only a mental health issue that they were struggling with, but also had a substance abuse issue. So I went back to the University of Illinois, received some more education and training in addictions, um, and then accepted a position at Menninger Clinic in Houston, Texas. Menninger Clinic is a large psychiatric hospital that serves both adolescents and adults from around the world, really. And I worked at Menninger Clinic for over a decade where I treated uh, both adolescents and adults who were diagnosed with uh, uh, substance substance abuse disorders, as well as mental health issues. And in working with parents, uh, many times I would sit across from them and I would give them their child's history of using substances, which substances their child was using, how often they were using, how long they had been using a substance, and a diagnosis of some type of substance abuse disorder that might have been mild or moderate or severe. And when I finished going through the history, uh, many times they would look across at me and they would say, I had no idea this was going on. Or if they did suspect their child was using a substance, they would say, well, I sort of thought something was going on, but I didn't think it was this bad. So after I left Menninger uh, a little over a year ago, I wanted to put this resource together for, for parents to give them the, the information in a very concise, reader-friendly format. It only runs about 100 and some pages. Uh, it's, it consists of a number of short chapters that focus on really the basics that I think every parent needs to be aware of. It has warning signs. It talks a little bit about how drugs work in the teenage brain. Um, it, it, it talks about how sometimes a, a disorder like eating disorder or uh, self-injury can accompany a child's use of a substance. Uh, it talks about the type of assessments that you should get done for, with your, for your child if you believe that there's a problem. And then it talks about different treatment options and resources. So I packed all of that in to a book that hopefully when, when parents read it it, it, it does not take very long to read, but they'll feel as if they understand this, this issue a little bit better. They, they feel more prepared that if needed, they can deal with it. And they know the warning signs to look for so that they don't get, off car, get caught off guard and then end up being a parent who looks back and says, how did I miss these warning signs? They were so obvious. How did I miss them? What kind of a parent am I? Um, so those warning signs really are very a very important component of what I hope to help parents understand in, in reading this book. I immediately went and you addressed it pretty quickly, but the I had no idea. I didn't know that this was going on. And it's very easy for people to judge and say, how did you have no idea? And I've read a lot of different stories about how the parents did say they had no idea. Do you believe, I don't know if it's even the question of do you believe that really truly is the case, or is it just that we 
don't know what signs to look for? I think it's more that parents don't know the signs to look for. Nobody's told them what the signs are. They're sort of operating on their own history or their own preconceived ideas of, of what does a child look like? How does a child behave if they're using a substance? So really, it's it's not their fault. Um, nobody has, has explained to them or given them a resource or helped them identify the, the warning signs. So uh, they didn't know what to look for because nobody gave them the information uh, to help them see what they should be looking for. Can you go through a couple of those warning signs so that we have a little bit of an idea? Yeah, sure. Um, in my book, I have warning signs for a child that might be abusing alcohol. I have different warning signs uh, for a child that might be using marijuana. And I have warning signs for a child that might be developing an eating disorder or might be self-injuring themselves because sometimes they will accompany a child using a substance. I've, I've treated uh, some girls, for example, that were smoking marijuana, but they were also developing an eating disorder or they were cutting on themselves. Um, but as a general rule, what I recommend to parents is pay attention to the changes you see in your child. You know your child better than anyone. So pay attention to any changes that you see in your child. Don't assume that the changes you're seeing might just be normal adolescent acting out behaviors. They may very well be, but they may also be an indicator that there's something else going on underneath the surface that you need to investigate. Uh, some examples would be a child who was earning very good grades and now the grades are declining. Uh, a child who used to be very social and outgoing now becomes very quiet and isolating. Um, a child who used to participate in sports no longer wants to participate in sports. Uh, a child who would very openly introduce you to their friends. You knew who their friends were. You may have known who their friends' parents were. Now becomes very secretive about who their friends are. So these are some indicators of, of changes that you may see in your child. If these changes last a very short period of time, that might not be too concerning. But if they tend to drag on over a period of time, and then you start to see more of these changes, you know, not just one, but now you're seeing a couple of them, and maybe, maybe you're starting to see a pattern develop. Uh, those are the types of warning signs that you need to peep that you need to pick up on and, and, and investigate to see if there's something more serious going on underneath the surface. I don't know if you have the tools for this question that I'm going to ask or if you have the research for it. But one thing that I've always been really fascinated by is, is the human brain. I mean, it's just, it it's insane to think about how one person could just completely develop uh, whatever it may be um, within their brain. And, and I know I'm, I'm probably not wording this really well, but what I want to know is, do you have any research or data to talk about an individual's brain? And I mean, are they always prone to addiction? Is there something that happens? I mean, I think a big thing that I've always joked around about in this podcast is I don't want to screw my kids up. I know I'm going to, but I, I'm going to try not to. But you think about those things like, is there something that I 
maybe am doing or have done that can trigger this, if that makes sense. Well, I think there's, I think there is an important issue that parents need to be aware of, and, and that is that their child's brain is in the process of developing and maturing, and it's going to be in this uh, developmental maturing stage all the way until that child reaches age twenty-four or twenty-five. So, oh. so the adolescent brain is in the process of maturing and developing, and and it's putting together those those interconnections within the brain that ultimately form the the, the critical thinking patterns and the skills that that they will need as as they grow older um, and 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 that's what makes using substances so risky for for an adolescent their brain is in the process of developing and the younger they are the more undeveloped their brain is so when you start to introduce a substance uh, say say marijuana into a, a, a developing brain you run the risk of of doing uh, some some damage to that child's ability to to function to think um, the last part of the brain to get developed is what's called the prefrontal cortex um, and that doesn't get fully developed until you know the the, the mid 20s but that's a critical important part Part of the brain because it's responsible for higher order thinking, abstract reasoning, the ability to weigh pros and cons and, and make hopefully good decisions. So the message to parents is you need to protect that child's brain and you need to do everything you can to help that child understand that they need to protect their brain because it, it, it is a developing process. The other thing I would say is that when it comes to addiction, Research will tell us that somewhere between 40 and 60% of a person's vulnerability to become addicted is purely genetics. Mm. And, and that's no different than any other disease. Uh, so if you have hypertension in your family, you're at higher risk. If a woman has a history of breast cancer in her family, she's at higher risk. It doesn't mean that the person's going to get that disease. It just means that because they have a genetic predisposition to it, that they have a history of it, they're just more at risk. Uh, the same is true for addiction. So if there is a history of addiction in the family, then that child uh, is, is, is at higher risk. So if 40 to 60% is genetics, what's the remaining percentage? Percentage. The remaining percentage is environmental factors. It's, it's things like high levels of stress, high levels of abuse, uh, you know, all the, you know, the family uh, situation, uh, levels of trauma, if there are any, all of the psychiatric disorders, whether it's uh, anxiety, depression, trauma, personality disorders. So all of these in, environmental factors come together uh, in addition to the genetic genetics uh, to make to increase the, 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 the child's vulnerability. Uh, all children, all children are vulnerable to being captured by drugs. There is no safe safe child. Every child is vulnerable to becoming involved with alcohol or drugs. It doesn't matter where you live urban, rural, suburban. It doesn't matter the level of income of your family. It doesn't matter uh, what religious background you are. And it doesn't matter what school you go to. All children are vulnerable to becoming captured by substances like alcohol or marijuana or any of these other uh, illicit drugs. That 
like gave me goosebumps in a bad way. Um, but I'm glad you said it because you do have this notion, or I think many people do, that only individuals in certain situations have the ability to become addicted to drugs or alcohol. Yeah. I think, I think the message to parents is, you know, don't become paranoid about this. You know, don't become overly frightened by it. it. It's a scary subject, but don't become paranoid by this. Become educated about it. Become knowledgeable about it. Know what the warning signs are. Have a, have a plan in place in case you run into this issue so that you're not caught off guard. Be prepared. Learn, learn the information. And, and, and I think understand that, that there is hope. Even if your child does get involved with alcohol or drugs, you know, there is hope that that child can move beyond that. But don't become paranoid over, over, over the, the thought that your child may become a, a subject to alcohol and drug use. Become educated about it. Learn the warning signs. Know what your options are. Know what assessments you need to get done if you suspect your child is using a substance. And you'll be better prepared to deal with this. Okay, so ha, I'm laughing on the inside or anybody that really, really knows me, they're like, oh, Rick, Jill is already paranoid. <laughs> um, so, okay, then that goes to the education. Like we can do a bunch of things now to educate ourselves um, and I guess the language that we use with your kids, but you mentioned assessments. Yes. So I don't quite understand what that means. Well, I often get asked the question, if I suspect my child's using a substance, what should I do? What's the first thing I should do? Well, the first thing you should do is have a discussion with your child and, uh, and, and, and talk to them. And, and, and it's very important that we all uh, learn uh, and improve uh, how we communicate. And we can all do this. Every parent can learn this skill. And, we're, we're pretty good, Jill, at, at when we talk to each other and when we talk to our kids, we're pretty good at, at hearing the words they say, but we're not so good sometimes at hearing the feelings that are behind those words. So we can listen to our, our child talk to us and we can hear the words, but we sometimes don't tune into the feelings behind those words. And that's a skill that every parent can practice. That's a skill that every parent can can master and become better at and when we when we practice that skill so that when our child is talking to us we're hearing their words but we're also hearing their feelings that child is going to uh, begin to understand that we truly do care and understand them that we care more about their words but we but we care just as much if not more about the feelings behind those words so every parent can learn to practice that skill of of listening to your child feelings that are behind the words, not just the words. So that when you're having this conversation with your child, and let's say, you know, you, you want to know more about what's going on, you suspect your child's using something. This is not an inquisition. This is not accusing the child, hey, you know, I think you've been using marijuana. What, what are you doing that for? You can't do that. You better not do it. And if you do, this is what's going to happen. No, that's not the conversation. The conversation is you come at it from an inquiring mind. I, I, I'm seeing this behavior in you and I'm curious as to, as to what may be going on. Can you help me 
me understand it. So you you approach the conversation from an inquiring mind, so to speak. I'm seeing these behaviors. Can you help me understand why I'm seeing it? And that that lets the child know that you're not accusing the child of anything. You're not angry. You just want the child to help you understand, if they can, what the, why, they're, why you're seeing the behavior that you're seeing. You're more likely to get a, a better conversation and more information if you approach it with an inquiring mind than if you approach it from an accusation point of view. Now, that's a conversation that's likely to go one of two ways. It's either going to blow up and the child's going to become argumentative and defensive, or it may go the other way and you might learn a few things. But regardless of how that discussion goes, if you suspect your child might be using a substance, you need to move to the next stage, which is to get the assessments done that I recommend in my book. Now, what assessments am I talking about? Well, you're going to need an addictions assessment. That's what I was doing uh, in my job. I was doing an addictions assessment. That's going to tell you the drugs your child's been using, the frequency they've been using it, how long they've been using these drugs. And you're going to get a diagnosis, which we now call a substance use disorder that can be either mild, moderate, or severe. You need to know which category your child's in, if, if they're in any of these categories. But beyond that, you also need a psychological assessment or a neuropsychological assessment. And that's going to either rule in or rule out whether or not there's an underlying psychological issue that might be driving your child to use a substance. Many of the teenagers that I worked with who were smoking marijuana and they were smoking a boatload of marijuana, their IQs were high. They were above average. Uh, but when I asked them to help me understand why they were smoking so much marijuana, the number one answer that came back from them was, it helps me with my anxiety. It helps mm -hmm. me with my anxiety. So this psychological or neuropsychological assessment is really geared toward getting at whether or not there is or there is not some underlying emotional issue that might be driving your child uh, to use a substance. It might, be, um, it might be anxiety. It might be depression. It might be some type of trauma, like maybe being bullied at school that you weren't aware of. Uh, it might be uh, an emerging personality disorder. Uh, so you need this assessment to either rule in or rule out whether or not there might be something of a psychological nature going on that your child is using a substance to medicate. I want to pause the conversation for just a minute to talk to you about one of the sponsors of the podcast, Blondin Real Estate. And as you know, the real estate game is just crazy right now. And you want to go with an experienced agency to help you navigate the crazy waters. And so one thing that people are starting to brag about that is fairly new to the specific agency they work with is something that Blondin Real Estate has been doing for quite some time. And it's this feature where you can know about a property before it hits the market, whether you're buying or selling. And so what you do, and, and like I said, Blonde and Real Estate has been doing this for quite some time now, but you go to blondeandrealestate.com, you sign up with your email, and you'll get a weekly update. So you get to learn about the properties first. You get a head start above anyone else. And on a number of occasions, there are times because of this feature that Blonde and Real Estate offers, someone will get what they want 
because of it, whether it's buying or selling. So I encourage you to check out Blonde and Real Estate. Sign up for that weekly email that you'll get where you will see properties before anybody else. And it's at blondeandrealestate.com. Like I said, crazy market. So you want to get a head start and you can do so with Blonde and Real Estate. All right, back to the conversation with Rick. And maybe at that point, if there is a different avenue to take, like some sort of prescription, if that is what's being used instead and and the child would feel a difference from that, then they would maybe understand or the hope is to understand not to turn to drugs and alcohol? Um, the child may not understand that, but you will. Um, you know, okay. it, it'll it'll be a process of of, uh, of of working with the child. And and let's say you have a child who has a high degree of anxiety that that maybe you were aware they were anxious, but you didn't know how severe it was for the child. So they were using marijuana to cope with it because they learned from another kid maybe that it helps. Um, so. Yes, you might find a, a, a prescription that will help with that anxiety, but you're still going to need to, to get some counseling for that child to to ensure that even though their anxiety may be somewhat under control, you still want to not ignore the fact that they have a history of using a substance. I have a question in regard to marijuana. And I am going to specifically talk about that anxiety that you've just mentioned and how now we have medical marijuana as an option in some locations. We also are seeing the rise in advertising for CBD and these more natural approaches or these plant-based medicines to help with situations like this. And I did speak with someone about this, Dr. Uh, Jamila Owens-Todd. She does this for a living. She is part of the medical marijuana industry, and we talked about it. And she was very much um, talking about why it is abused as far as people are getting it off the streets They don't know the dosage that they should have. And so I just kind of only thought about that for adults. How does that work with adolescents? Well, um, first of all, let me just say that um, she's right about the medical marijuana that's being bought off the street. Um, You don't know what's in it. Uh, it's come down the, the the supply chain, and it could it it, it very likely could be uh, mixed in with another substance uh, that's different than the marijuana you might get from a legal dispensary, for example. That those those are not going to be tainted with any other illicit substance. Um, the the other thing that I would say is that. Yes, marijuana is becoming more and more legal around the country. Uh, more and more states are legalizing it for adults, not for kids, for adults. Um, and that sometimes leaves the perception among adolescents that it can't be that bad. Uh, if, 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 if the government is approving it for, for adults, how harmful can it be? The problem with that line of thinking is it's not true. 
Because remember, we go back to the adolescent brain in a process of developing. So some things that might not be so harmful for the adult brain because it's mature can be very devastating for the adolescent brain that's in the process of growing and developing. So while marijuana, many people may use marijuana as an adult and it's not harmful, it doesn't lead to any catastrophic changes. An an adolescent using marijuana whose brain is in the process of forming critical functions, uh, marijuana uh, could could be devastating in those situations. And I'll give you an example. These children that I were, teenagers that I was working with who were smoking a lot of marijuana, their IQs were all very high. But when the psychological test results came back, um, I noticed that the processing speed of their brain was below average. Their short-term memory was impaired, and their motivation was very low. Now, was all of that because of marijuana? Probably not. Was marijuana contributing to it? Probably so. So my point is that just because marijuana might be okay for some adults and might be legal for adults doesn't mean that it's necessarily a good thing for adolescents because, again, their brain is developing. I'm going to go back to what I talked about earlier in the episode and what you just confirmed, the stuff that is on the black market, so to speak, it is, uh, it, it is scary. It is just terrifying. I recently saw someone um, post something that they thought was marijuana and they looked at the label and, oh boy, I mean... It was enough to freak me out with a four and two year old and thinking, what is going to happen in the future? Yeah. Yeah. It is scary. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, these drugs off the street, like I was saying earlier, uh, chances are uh, they're tainted with, with, with something else. They're not pure. Um, they're, they're, they're very likely uh, containing another illicit substance so that uh, people can make more money off of it. Um, and it, and it, really does make it very scary and very dangerous. I'm sure there are several questions that I am not thinking to ask. So if you do have a question for Rick, you can email me hello at jilldevine.com. We will get you in touch with Rick or we will have him back on to talk about these things and address your questions. But what am I missing, Rick? What is something that I have not thought about to ask that you have noticed is a very, very important thing that parents should should understand and realize. Well, I think that um, it's important for parents to know, not be, again, not become paranoid about this, but just to become aware of what's going on because knowledge is power. The more that you're aware, the more that you understand, the more information you have, the better you prepare, the better you feel and the more confident you feel uh, prepared to address this subject in the event that it comes up. Um, I would add that what we are seeing in, in the recent years uh, you know, adolescents have always 
gravitated towards alcohol and marijuana. Those are the two primary substances that teenagers uh, are using. Um, but what we've noticed in the last few years is a, a tremendous increase, uh, a surge in the percentage of, 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 of students who are now vaping. Uh, vaping is where they take a substance like nicotine and marijuana. They use an instrument like a vape pen. Some of them look like USB drives and they turn the substance into a vapor and then they inhale it. Well, in the last three years, the number of, of high school students who have been vaping substances has just dramatically increased. For example, three years ago, the number of high school seniors that were vaping nicotine was 18%. Today, it's 34%. Oh. The, the number of, of high school seniors three years ago that were vaping marijuana was 9%. Today, it's 22%. So there's been a surge, a, 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 a dramatic increase in, in teenagers who are turning to vaping substances like marijuana and nicotine. And, and what we've noticed, is, uh, there's been research from the University of Rochester Medical Center, which shows that for, for both adults and kids who are vaping, they're starting to report difficulty in concentrating and remembering. And, and, and also students who start vaping uh, between the ages of 8 and 13 were more likely to report difficulty concentrating and remembering than those who started vaping at age 14 or higher. So the younger, again, the younger, the more likely that there, there are negative uh, consequences for, for using. Cigarette smoking is at an all-time low, but uh, what's happened is kids have, have switched from smoking cigarettes and cigars to vaping nicotine. And by vaping nicotine, they're getting higher concentrations of nicotine, which means they become addicted quicker. Um, but, but vaping is an issue that, that parents need to be aware of because it, it's on the increase and it's, and it's very easy to disguise. Eight years old? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Like that is alarming that that's a stat. An eight-year-old vaping. Yes, and 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 you know the the thing that uh, parents also need to be aware of is when we see very young children, pre even pre teenagers, uh, they're more likely to get into what we call inhalants. There's a chapter in my book that talks about inhalants, but a lot of these are household products that we have around the house. They're cleaning solutions. They're markers. Uh, they have they have a, a uh, an aroma to them, uh, sort of uh, like an inhalant, uh, might be gasoline, could be paint thinner. A lot of these are household products that we keep around the house that have a vapor to them that, that can make kids get high. Well, remember the, the, when, it, when it happens this young, and we tend to see uh, inhalant abuse at very young ages, their brains are really not developed very well. And inhalants give a kid a very high a very rapid feeling of high that doesn't last very long. So it tends to repeat itself real quick, uh, which, which can be even more dangerous. So my message to parents is if you have any of these household substances around your house, which we all do, um, you need to secure them. Um, and, and I say the same thing to parents about any type of medications, uh, whether they're prescribed or over the counter, you need to secure those if you have a, a child in your house. 
you know, just to make sure that any prescriptions or over-the-counter uh, medications, even cough syrup, because teenagers will get into cough syrup, you need to do what you can to secure those uh, so that your child does not have easy alcohol to easy access to them. And I would say the same thing about alcohol. If you have alcohol in your house, you need to make sure that's secure too. I mean, we just need to protect these little brains and we can do something as parents in regard to our children's future. And um, I mean, really talking to them and communicating and letting them know that they have a voice, that is just, that's huge. It's really, really what we need to concentrate on. So Rick, the book, The Addicted Child, why don't you tell the listener where they can get that, where they can reach you, anything that you want the listener to know so that they can um, get educated about this. Thank you. Uh, the The book is uh, The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse. It's available as a Kindle, uh, for any parent that uh, likes to read on a Kindle like I do. Um, and it's priced at 99 cents. So it's, uh, it's something that, that. Is, uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, and, and for people who prefer the uh, paperback bound uh, version, because a lot of people like to, you know, write and highlight and things like that, I think that's less than $10 and they can keep it as a resource and keep it on their bookshelf and, and maybe loan it to another family member or a friend. So it's the book's available in both a Kindle and, and, a, and a paperback uh, version. There is also a parent workbook for those that might be interested because I wanted to put together a short workbook to help parents because many times we forget that parents are going through their own crisis as they're dealing with a child who's using a substance and, and they have their own feelings of anxiety and guilt and anger. So I put together a very short workbook uh, that really has exercises in it that will help parents uh, identify what's going on and deal with it. Uh, it also has some suggestions on that communication skill I was talking about, learning to, to listen not just to words, but feelings. Uh, it has a couple of tips on how to deal with anxiety. So the workbook is available as well. All of that is available on Amazon. Uh, one of the easiest ways to get access to it is to go to the book's website, which is www.helptheaddictedchild.com helptheaddictedchild.com. There you can read endorsements and book reviews. Uh, you'll see that the, that the book has won, uh, I think, four awards. Um, there, there will be a link that will take, take you directly to Amazon where you can purchase uh, uh, either the book or the workbook or both. Uh, and there'll be a link where if you have a question or a comment, uh, uh, you, you'll be able to uh, send a message to me and it'll come directly to me. So uh, the book's website, helptheaddictedchild.com, has all that information in it. Well, I will have all of this information online at jilldevine.com in the show notes. And while we wrap up, I can imagine that this is a topic um, that is going to continue to be researched. It's a topic that will be continued to be educated as far as yourself and others, what is next, Rick, or what would you like to see next? And that's what I would like us to close out this episode with. Well, what I would like to see next is for more parents uh, to become uh, aware of this issue, to feel more confident that they're able to address it if needed. 
uh, and, and to not be, like I said earlier, not be paranoid about this issue, but just to feel better prepared, better educated, more knowledgeable, um, and, and to know that if their child does get involved in a substance, that there is hope out there, that there is various types of treatment that's out there, that their child and their family can, can get through this and, and can recover. Um, but uh, the message that I have is um, um, learn as much as you can about this so that you feel more confident and, 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 and that you'll be able to deal with it. I appreciate your support of this podcast and you can follow along on all the socials, Instagram at Jill Divine, Facebook at Jill Divine Media and Twitter at Jill Divine Radio. I know it's complicated, but just search Jill Divine. You should be able to pull me up. And also online at jilldivine.com. When you go there, you will also see the form for a Supermom Shoutout nomination. And I'd like to ask you if you could subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on the podcast platform of your choice. Doing so helps get the podcast in the hands of others because the more you participate and use the word of mouth, that's what gets this podcast a little bit more noticed. And lastly, I guess I should just tell you that new episodes launch every Wednesday, just in case you're wondering, because if you do subscribe to the podcast, you'll get notified of new episodes. But just in case not, every Wednesday, meet me back here, okay? Thank you so much for all of your support of Two Kids and a Career. 